And as a church, being able to study Ephesians during the week and then Romans is just, uh, and Galatians last week, just glorious combinations. Here I tried, I was on security during Sunday school, I tried to hear what uh, Shane was saying about Ephesians 2 in particular, uh, because that uh, will match Ephesians 2, what we're going to look at today uh, from Romans 4. If you want to hold your hand in Romans 4, we'll go back to Ephesians 2. Let me show you. Uh, I did not listen to Sunday school carefully. I will watch it. Um, and if you miss Sunday school, you miss a blessing. And uh, it is recorded. You can watch it, but you don't get the interaction. And if you don't do the homework, you definitely don't get as much of a blessing uh, during the week. So if you're here and you uh, miss, uh, miss Sunday school, miss the sheets uh, that uh, we have, the questions, uh, they're always on the back table or a back a music stand as you head out. Uh, so make sure you grab one. Even if you don't plan to come to Sunday school, you're still welcome to do that. Uh, with us, this keeps us together as a church and focused on uh, God's Word together. So Ephesians 2, in verse 1, it says, You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. All right, I'm not going to make any more comments except for when we get to that part of Romans 4. So we can go back to Romans 4. Connections. Connections are so important today. People connecting to people with the internet, um, with the ease of travel, it gets easier to connect with, um, with people. You may know people around the world. Uh, you may know people in other parts of the country. And if you have friends or relatives traveling, trying to connect people, um, there have been several times that people have been connected to our church, uh, and there have been some of you that have family moving uh, to other parts of the country saying, hey, do you have to know a good church in this area? And uh, sometimes I can uh, get them connected to uh, a local church there, wherever they're at. Other connections, devices, connecting to power. I was in Boston driving around, and my a co-pilot, uh, his cell phone was our GPS navigation. He's like, do you have an Apple uh, cord for power? And I'm like, I do not. He's like, okay, I'm going to lose power in my cell phone. And uh, if you're in Boston and you need directions on a Friday afternoon, you don't want to be without power. But I didn't have the right connection. And without the right connection, I have power in my van, and I had the uh, USB that could have powered his cell phone, but I didn't have the right connection cable. We've all been there, need the right connection, and we don't have it. 
But the most important connection in life is the creature connected to the Creator. And weak, the weak, guilty sinner connecting to the powerful, justifying Redeemer. A weak, guilty sinner. Now, according to Romans 1 through 3, who are the weak, guilty sinners? Answer, all. The whole world are weak, guilty sinners. And what do they need? A connection, a personal connection to their powerful, justifying Redeemer. We saw in Romans 3.26 that God is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And now we have turned the corner from God accusing and condemning us justly to providing the only way of salvation. And he, he wants us to see a, some connections today in Romans four thirteen to 19. And so I hopefully the notes, except for maybe the last slide, they're simple and easy to understand. And the last slide, I'll, I'll do a little more explaining. So hopefully this message is uh, simple uh, to understand. And if you're in Sunday school, it's going to build on Ephesians 2, uh, what we learned, what you studied this week. Uh, to see how faith and grace uh, combine here uh, and we can enjoy salvation. I couldn't have picked better songs for this morning, and I didn't pick the songs this morning. Um, The songs were picked by John, and I realized in our announcements, if you want to join the choir to talk to Brandon, Brandon's not here today, so it's going to be very hard for you to talk to him. Uh, So if you would talk to John Sparkman, who led the singing, and uh, if you are walking with the Lord, and uh, you don't have to be a member uh, of our church, but you ought to be walking with the Lord, uh, and if you're walking with the Lord uh, in the light of His Word, as the song says, you're welcome to sing in the choir, and so talk with John. We are going to have a service planning in October 22nd that focuses our attention on heaven, and I will work on a message from Roman, or Revelation 4 and 5, and we'll sing songs that are similar to when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be, and encouragement for us to focus on things above, not on things on the earth. So if you want to be part of that, I think there are two songs that we'll sing as an adult choir, and uh, talk to John Sparkman today, or Brandon. And the, the choir rehearsals are usually after the morning service, so most of you can, uh, can make those uh, rehearsal times. Romans 4, 13 to 19, we read together, and there are connections that, we, that Paul wants us to see. Now, Romans is a very logical book, and so with logic comes connections, okay? Uh, because of this, then this, and if you have this, then you can expect this, and they're just one, one truth after another, and connecting them together is what Paul does masterfully in this book. And so he has connected us to, in Romans 1, the immoral he has connected to creation and says, you guys are against nature and you're going to be, you're going to have God's wrath, but you can keep suppressing the truth and ungodliness and unrighteousness, but that's not going to get you any closer to God. And then Romans 2, the moral and the religious are suppressing 
uh, the truth by trying to earn favor with God by works. And they judge other people that are immoral from Romans 1, and they think that I'm better than them. But they're not any closer to God uh, without, without God's help than the immoral is. And then Romans 3 combines everybody and uses God's uh, word from the Old Testament. Uh, so the Jewish people that loved the Old Testament would be extremely convicted with Romans 3 saying, are you serious that all, there's no one righteous? No, not one? That's, that's what Romans 3.10 says. And that's a quote from Psalms. So the Old Testament condemns all people so that everyone is guilty. Everyone needs a Savior. So why do we have this passage of Scripture? I believe it's we all need to doubt our ability and be fully convinced of God's ability. So doubt your own ability when it comes to salvation. And we'll see in Romans 6, your sanctification, your growth as a Christian as well. But we all need to doubt our ability, and we all need to be fully convinced of God's ability. Okay? So doubt your own ability. We'll see that on the, on the closing slide uh, as well. So Romans 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, we just studied Galatians. And in chapter 3, who is the offspring of Abraham that uh, we learned about in Galatians 3? And it's Jesus. It doesn't say offsprings in, in Galatians 3. It doesn't say seeds, as in plural, and, and Paul brings that out. So he doesn't emphasize it here like he did in Galatians 3, but you can go back to Galatians 3 and compare that and say, okay, God's promise to Abraham was that his offspring would be heir of the world, and it did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise to Abraham and to his offspring, which is Christ, did not come through the law, but through God's, righteous, God's righteousness after faith alone. So the promise of salvation shows the need for what? Keeping the law? No. All of us are guilty of breaking the law. So what is it showing? It's showing that we need to trust God. It is faith alone. So the promise of salvation shows that we need to be connected to God. How? By faith alone. Verse 14, for if the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So he uses the word heir a couple times here. If you are an heir of someone who's in prison, you probably can expect if they didn't have, and they've been in prison almost their whole life, you can probably expect to not inherit very much. But on the other hand, if you were the heir of someone who owned a company like Apple or Amazon or Google, and you're the heir to them, you're like, oh, oh man, what's coming to me? When do you get the wealth? You only get the wealth after, after someone dies, right? Your, your parent, um, grandparent. Um, but if you're in the line to be heir, we would say today you're in the will, and you know that I'm in the will 
and the will includes a large amount of money. It's coming to me, and it's promised to me. How do you know it's promised to you? Because you are related to the one who has the wealth. All right, so how are we related to God? Well, he's going to have to give us his righteousness. How does he give it? It doesn't come through the law. It only comes through faith. He keeps reemphasizing that over and over. Since the end of Romans 3, all the way up to this point in Romans 4, he keeps emphasizing it's faith alone, that that's the only way we get God's righteousness. And then verse 14, he says, let's think about this. If we could obey the law and get God's righteousness, then we would be heirs. We'd be in God's family because we kept the law. Then faith is null and the promise is void. These are very uh, similar, and if you look at a different translation, it says the first one is, is void, or the second one, the promise is nullified. So these are very similar terms. So what is he saying? If it's possible to be heir of God by law-keeping, then why do we need faith? If it's faith alone that we are to be saved... We get God's righteousness, and we could get God's righteousness by keeping the law, then why do we need faith at all? It is useless. It is emptied of its power. That's the first word there, the word null in your Bible, verse 14. And then the promise is void. Now, we probably know this word probably based on a check. If someone writes you a check for $1 million dollars, that check is only good if two things are true. They have a million dollars in the bank. And the other one is they don't write on the check void. I can write you a check, I can give it to you, and I can <laughs> write void on it. And it doesn't matter how much it is, that the bank's not gonna accept it because I, the signer of the check, write void on it, I can nullify my own check, okay? So God is saying, if we could obey the law to get righteousness from God, we don't need faith, and God's promise of eternal life is invalidated. But you know what? In verse 14, it is impossible for you to obey the law. How do we know it's impossible to obey the law? Because of Romans 3 and 2 and 1. Okay, this is the logical connection back there to say, okay, you think you can obey the law and get God's righteousness. You can't. And if you could, why do we need faith? And if you could earn your salvation, why does God have to promise it? Because you can just earn it. And the answer is you, you can't earn it. And so many religious people try and try and try. They are so dedicated, so organized, so sincere. And they're lost. And they're not found and they do not have God's righteousness by keeping any laws because we are all lawbreakers. And God wants us to realize 
here that we need him. Religious people do not really realize they need him. Moral people don't really need him. Immoral people usually hate him, as we saw in Romans 1. They're haters of God. But believers, as we just sang, come quickly, Lord, make all things new, redeem the church, your bride. How much can you make new in this life? If we could change elections, which we can't, and some probably have tried, and they get in trouble for it, but they should. Even if you change elections, you're not going to change hearts by changing an election. You got the ideal candidates in for president, vice president, all the cabinet, all of the Senate, all of the House of Representatives. All the states are very, very conservative and biblical and godly. Government can't redeem people. Government can't save one person from their sin. Government is weak. Entertainment. We can entertain ourselves to death. And you will not get God's righteousness by entertaining yourself. You can be moral. You can go to church. You can put thousands and th upon thousands of dollars in an offering box. You can volunteer for Old Home Day. You can volunteer for anything that the church has. You can help uh, homeless people. You can help uh, war-torn countries. You can dig wells. You can do all kinds of moral things. But salvation is by faith. And God wants it to be that way. And he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to trust in his promises. So look back at verse 14. If the inherit adherents of the law who are to be heirs if it is the adherents of the law who are, who are to be heirs, then faith is null. The promise is void. Verse 15. So if you're following his progression, then you're going to say, so why do we even need the law at all? Like, if it's all about faith and it's all about God's promises, then why do we even need the law at all? And this, he alluded to it back in chapter 3, gave us, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's going to say it again in chapter 5 and 7. And so here is chapter 4's, the reason we need the law. So don't throw the law out. You need the law. Why? Because the law, look at verse 15 with me, the law brings wrath. Well, it doesn't sound like we need it. Do, do you and I need wrath? Answer, yes. Why do we need wrath? Hmm. Why do you want to scare your immoral friend to death about God? Why do you want to scare your moral friend, your religious friend, your law-keeping friend? Why do you want to scare them to death? So they will realize they need God? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. That's it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
It doesn't change Proverbs. It brings light to Proverbs. It shines the New Testament light back on the Old Testament and says, now we know why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. No one gets saved without fearing God and understanding they are under God's wrath. And we sing in Christ alone that the wrath of God is satisfied. But we're not satisfying God's wrath. No religious people are satisfying God's wrath. Who satisfied God's wrath? Jesus. And only Jesus. So the law is good. Why is the law good? Well, chapter 4, verse 15 says, the law brings wrath. And do we need wrath? And all of us should be shaking our heads. Yes, we do. Does the whole world need wrath? And the answer is yes, they do. But where they're continuing in verse 15, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. He doesn't say there's no sin, because even if there's no law, is there still sin? Absolutely. Because what is sin? Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So before the law came, 1400 B.C., Everyone that lived the two or three millennia before the law, were they sinners? But they didn't have the law. Okay, so there wasn't transgression. That's breaking the law. But were they falling short of the glory of God? Yes, we have a worldwide flood to show us that the whole world was sinful. And God hated sin. And the worldwide flood also shows us God hates sin and his wrath is poured out on sinners. He wiped the earth clean. Likely billions of people alive at the time of the flood. So the, the law brings wrath, right? And where there is no law, there's no transgression, right? But there is law. And Romans 1 through 3 connects us to the law of God and our conscience convicts us that we are law breakers. Creation shows us that we are by nature immoral, break your, breaking of God, God's laws of nature. And when God gives us the law, all it shows us is that we are transgressors by choice, by nature, by our relation to Adam. We'll see that in chapter 5. The law is good. It brings wrath. When we share the gospel on Saturday, Lord willing, you know what we are going to do? We're going to tell people about God's law. How many lies have you told? Oh, you think you're a good person? Okay. How many lies have you told? Have you dishonored your parents? Oh, yeah. You know those are two of the Ten Commandments, right? Oh, yeah. And you go down the list of, have you taken God's name in vain? Oh, yeah. Do it all the time. All right. And you just show this person you're a lawbreaker and because of that the wrath of God is coming to you personally how does that make you feel scared to death that's good oh I wouldn't say that's good to them. <laughs> but I'm thinking we're on the path toward I need a savior I need a redeemer I need someone because I am guilty I thought I was okay until I stopped by and talked to you church people. And now I realize, oh, whoa, I'm a law breaker, right? Because the law shows us that we are transgressors. We're breaking God's law. 
So we've got to catch up to our notes here. Verse 15, the law shows the need for salvation. The law is good. As it was in chapter 3, as it will be in chapter 5 and 7, Romans does not throw the law out, and it shows us that we don't need it anymore. We actually need the law, especially transgressors need the law because they need to feel the wrath of God on their life. Verse 16, that is why it, it has to be the promise um, and so the promise of salvation. Uh, that's the context here. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So there's a lot, a lot here. Okay, I'm going to go as, as quickly and hopefully summarize it as simply as I can. Why does salvation depend on faith and on faith alone? Okay, he says here that's why it depends on faith. So we should be asking the question, so why does it depend on faith? Where all these other religions say it depends on you doing this or this or this or this, and who has the right list of rules? And it's not a list of rules. It's not a religion. It's us getting connected to our Creator and our Redeemer. And if you don't have that connection, you don't have life. You don't have salvation. Why do we need that connection? Because we do not have righteousness, and only God can make us righteous. He's the only one who can justify us. Romans 3.26. Hmm, okay. So that's why it depends on faith. Salvation depends on faith in order that, and now we have a purpose, that the promise, promise of salvation, promise of God giving us his righteousness, putting us in his family as heirs, that the promise may rest on us. Nope. Promise may rest on grace. Whoa. Okay. Are we seeing the connection with faith and grace now? We saw in Sunday school, faith is a gift from God. Grace means gift, powerful gift. So, what is the connection here that Paul wants us to see? It depends on faith. We have to trust God. We have to trust God's promise. And if all it is is we're trusting God, the power to give us righteousness is all on God, not on us. You see that? The promise of salvation depends on God's grace. This one, these wonderful verses are eliminating us depending on ourselves. It's causing us to seriously doubt ourselves and our ability to save ourselves and showing us there is one way to be right with God. You need God's righteousness. It depends on your trust, your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the promise, so that when we receive the promise that we're trusting in, God gets all the glory because it's His power. When you see the word grace, you think powerful gift. If you were the heir of a billionaire, and when that billionaire died and some of his, her wealth gets transferred to your bank account, you likely, if it's a large enough, you could stop working, you could pay off all your house, buy whatever car you wanted, 
and live comfortably the rest of your life. That would be a very powerful gift. But let me tell you, salvation is better than that. To be an heir of heaven. To when you and I breathe our last breath, we wake up in heaven, you're like, okay, you can't put a price tag on that. To be part of God's family. Right? Our salvation is based on promises. A promise of God. And attached to that promise is God's grace. And God wants it to be that way. See the purpose statement there in verse 16, first part. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And if the promise is resting on God's power, then and only then is it guaranteed. Look at the middle of verse 16. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. No matter how much we want everyone in the world to be extremely wealthy, everyone in the world is not going to be an heir of billionaires. It is likely that none of you here are an heir to a billionaire. There are very few billionaires. We're going to likely have to work as long as we can, save as, as much as we can so that we have enough to live on, and maybe some of us can't retire till later than other people retire. That's okay. We're part of God's family, though. And that changes, that changes everything. God wants salvation to be dependent on His grace, and He wants salvation to be guaranteed. You know, if you and I talk to people who are religious and moral and sometimes immoral, and they think, I can earn my way to heaven, and you talk to them about, okay, when you die and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? I use this question a lot with people. Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Well, and here's what I usually hear. Well, I've done the best I can. And they usually list uh, uh, things that they are trusting in for their own salvation. I've gone to church. Try to be nice. I realize Jesus died for me. And they list all these things they think are equal to give them standing before God. And sometimes people will turn it back to me and say, so what are you trusting in? So what if it, what if it was you? And I try to be as simple and kind as possible saying, based on what Christ did for me on the cross, it's only what he's done for me. And if there's an awkward silence, it's okay at this part of the conversation. You know why? Because I want them to hear nothing of my works. Nothing is on par with what Jesus did for me. It all depends on Christ and Christ alone. His grace, and then secondly, His guarantee to all His offspring, not only to the inheritance of the law, which people that are trying to inherit the kingdom by uh, obeying the law, they, they can't obey the law, and they're realizing it, and their mouths are shut, according to uh, Romans 3.20. But also, and that's probably the Jewish person there, the adherent to the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. That's the Gentiles. And Abraham, as we saw last week, is the father of us all. 
us all. You mean Gentiles and Jewish people are together? Yes. Ephesians 2 said that too. The promise of salvation depends on God's grace. It also, in verse 16, the promise of salvation depends on God's guarantee. He wants all of us to share the faith of Abraham and share the promise that was made to him. It rests on grace. It is guaranteed to how many of Abraham's offspring? Verse 16 is important. All. Why is that word all important? Because what have we learned about all in Romans 3.10 and 3. Uh, 23 and 3 19 or 20 all are guilty before god there is none righteous no not one all mouths are shut and everybody's guilty and there is no one who is righteous everyone is a sinner guilty everyone needs a savior And so it is here in verse 16 that God wants the Jew, Jewish person, and the Gentile realize we can be related to Abraham and enjoy the promise of God made to Abraham. It rests on grace, it's guaranteed, and you don't have to be Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. And if you're Jewish, it doesn't make you any better than Gentile because it all requires faith. Same faith. Same God, same grace, same guarantee. All right, hopefully this helps you connect faith to grace alone. Continuing in verse 17. And here's the climax of our passage. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Quoting Genesis um, 17, 5. I've made you the father of many nations. Is he talking about the Jewish nation? No. Because he's talking here about spiritual children, not physical children. And he's talking about offspring and heir. And the offspring back in verse 13 and comparing that with Galatians 3 has to be Jesus. So, and we're connected to Jesus, heirs of God only by faith, and God's grace is the power that gives us his righteousness, that forgives us our sin, and guarantees to all of Abraham's offspring that we can be related to God through faith in Christ alone. And this is why Abraham is promised, I have made you the father of many nations. We are today sitting here, probably many nations represented many ethnic groups, um, and we're not a huge church. But if you look around the world, all faithful to God, people who are trusting in Christ alone, um, Abraham is their father as well, by faith. All right? And it makes us one. Ephesians 2 says we're all one family, one body. Ephesians uh, 4 said that about our unity in Christ. So, in the presence of God in whom he believed... So it was written to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations as God talks about the future in past tense because he's God, he can do this. He brings it about in the person of Christ and everyone who is trusting Christ is related to Abraham by faith, the same faith that Abraham had. In the presence of God in whom he believed, 
Abraham believed God. And when he trusted in God alone in Genesis 15 is when God gave him his righteousness. And Genesis 15, 5 is referred to in verse 18. But we're not going to skip the end of verse 17 because here is, here's the power. See, if you trust in me or you trust in earthly wealth or you trust in your good works, you're never going to be guaranteed of salvation, of forgiveness. But if you will trust in the same person that Abraham trusted in 4,000 years ago, same salvation, same God, what, who convinced Abraham that this was the way to get righteousness? How did God display himself and communicate to Abraham before the Bible was written? Okay, Moses writes the Bible 600 years, the first parts of the Bible, 600 years after Abraham lives. He's got no written revelation yet, but he's got a relationship with God. How did he get God's righteousness? How did he, if it's faith alone, in, in God's grace alone, how was he convinced that God could fulfill his promises to him. How was he convinced? It tells us in verse 17. Verse 17, the second part of it. So in, of, of the God in whom he believed, okay? The God in whom Abraham believed is the same God that we believe for him to give us his righteousness. Here is the description of God that we have to take to the world. Now, they can suppress, and we can expect them in Romans 1 to suppress this truth in unrighteousness and ungodliness. I still want to live how I want to live. I don't want your God. Okay, well, you don't want my God, but there's only one God. He's your creator. He wants to be your Savior, but this is what He can do for you. He can save you from your sin. He can make you from a weak, guilty sinner to a forgiven child of the King. And only God can do this. You can't do this yourself. What convinced Abraham to believe God? Well, God probably told him this, and it was probably passed down to him, this truth about God. Two truths about God here in verse 17. We should, we should memorize this part of verse 17 at least. Of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. What? Do you know the first resurrection in the Bible? is Elijah, living 1,200 years after Abraham. But you know what Hebrews 11 says about Abraham? When he had to offer Isaac, you know what he was thinking? God can raise Isaac from the dead. So I'll go through with this. Now, Genesis 22 is after he is a man of faith in Genesis um, 15. His faith had grown from lying about his wife twice and taking Hagar uh, to where he is willing to offer his son Isaac. But you know who he's convinced? If God wants me to do this, then God has the power to raise Isaac from the dead. And he's got no resurrections to refer back to. Here's a man of faith. He's trusting in the power of God. Who else can raise someone from the dead? Answer, no one. Our faith is whenever we have Easter that we trust in a re resurrected Messiah. 
And we'll see the, the connection of resurrection to our salvation at the end of Romans 4. But for now, we need to see our connection to God is a connection to a God who is grace and his guarantee. Same grace and same guarantee that Abraham had. And Abraham was convinced that he should believe only in God because God alone can give life to the dead. Now, what does Ephesians 2 say about dead? We all were dead in trespasses and sins, and God made us alive. So when we talk to people about Christ, we tell them, you're a guilty sinner, but not only that, you're dead. I'm not dead, I'm alive, okay? The Bible says you're dead in trespasses, trespasses that sounds like we need a law because to have a trespass you have to be a lawbreaker like a transgression yes and we have god's law to show us that we are the signs the no trespassing signs the no transgression signs are in scripture the ten commandments and other love the lord your god with all your heart right we're breaking those laws. love your neighbors yourself you always do that no none of us do we're all lawbreakers but we need to trust in God alone who can raise the dead. And look at the middle of verse 17. And God alone can call into existence the things that do not exist. All right, think back through with me at the beginning of time. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let the water above be separated from the water below. And... It happened. God said, let the trees and the dry land appear. And it wasn't a process. It happened. God said, let, the, let the, the sun and the moon and the stars appear. And it happened. God said, let the birds and let the fish appear. And it happened. And God said, let the on uh, day six let the the animals appear and he takes time and he creates man it happened creation out of nothing who else can do that is your faith strengthened but for abraham his faith was stronger every time he's talking to god he's told to do hard things like leave his homeland to trust in uh sarah to have a, a child she's past childbearing years it's impossible but it's not impossible with god because with god all things are possible why well verse 17 he believed in the god who can give life to the dead, and he can call into existence the things that do not exist. Is God giving us his salvation, his righteousness, hard? No. Is us earning our own salvation hard? No, it's impossible. Impossible. No one earns their own salvation. Why? Because we're all transgressors. It all depends on faith. And if it depends on faith, then it's God's 
grace that gives us salvation. It is a guarantee to all those who have trusted in Christ alone. And God gets all the glory, as he did with Abraham's salvation. He gets all the glory for saving anyone from Romans 1, anyone from Romans 2, anyone from Romans 3. God gets all the glory. And it's guaranteed because it depends on God's character. This is who God is. And those who do not, who keep suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, you know what they need? They need to know who God is. Those who keep trying to earn their own salvation by going to church and all these religious things, you know what they need? They need to realize who God is. They're not being taught who God is. They're confused. They're being deceived. And those of us here who are doubting our salvation, as I did as a kid, as a teenager, for years I doubted my salvation. You know why? Because I thought it depended on my faith. It's depending on God's grace. And it's guaranteed. We could sing a number of songs to conclude, but he will hold me fast. God holds us fast. It depends on his character. And then verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. I think I'm going to stop here and pray, and I'm going to pick it up here next week because there's too much to talk about in these two verses. Let me give you some connecting truth to our lives, and we'll, we'll conclude. We have no reason to doubt our salvation, although a lot of us have or maybe do, if we're trusting in the one who gives life to the dead and creates out of nothing. Now, when I struggle with my salvation as a teenager, I wasn't thinking these two thoughts. I was thinking, did I say the right prayer? Did I have enough faith? Was I really, 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 really sorry for my sin? That's what I was thinking. Consumed with it, I was, for about six years. Trying to get saved almost every day. Hoping that this time it would stick. And I didn't realize (laughs) it's not dependent on my faith alone. My faith needs to be in the one who gives life to the dead and who creates out of nothing. And then and only then could I enjoy the grace and the guarantee that I was part of God's family. So if you're struggling with doubt, meditate on who God is and these two thoughts about who God is from verse 17. And then as we go and talk to the world this week, we have every reason to help unbelievers to doubt their ability to keep God's law. All right, so in our gospel presentation, the first half of it, we're trying to get people who are comfortable in their good works. They're comfortable in their morality. They're comfortable in their religion. They're comfortable even in their immorality, Romans 1. We're trying to make them uncomfortable. How? By telling them, do not trust your good works. Your good works are like what? Filthy rags. If you could be good enough to get to heaven, Jesus would not have had to come. Galatians 2. 
Why did Jesus have to come? It's because we can't be good enough. Oh. And if you have been taught your whole life, church after church after church, religious leader after religious leader, and, and class after class, and grandma and grandpa, and everybody in your life is telling you you can be good enough to get to heaven, and here's some weirdo at an at old home day telling you can't be good enough to get to heaven, and they show you scripture, and you're like, maybe you can't. I gotta go home and think about this. Yes. Doubt your own ability to keep God's law. You can't keep God's law. Therefore, you need God's grace. You need God's power. You have no power to obey the law. You have power to disobey the law, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I don't want to hear about a God who gives life to the dead and creates another. I don't want to hear about Jesus who rose again from the dead, who died on the cross and cried out, it is finished. I don't want to hear that stuff. Okay, you can suppress the truth, but it doesn't change the truth. It changes your connection, though. You're not connected to God until you realize Jesus is the only way, the only truth the only life, and you need His grace. And then we urge people, as they realize they need God's grace, they need to be forgiven of breaking God's law, then we urge them to trust Christ alone. Only Christ can forgive their sin. He's already paid for it on the cross. All the wrath of God that was headed toward this sinner, Christ took it in his body on the tree. We tell them to trust Christ alone and trust the power of the resurrection. And look at verse 25 with me at the end of Romans 4. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your truth. I pray that you give us eyes to hear ears to hear, hearts that um, are submissive to this truth today. I pray for those here today who are listening, watching, and they are still trusting in their own good works, trusting in their, I got to figure this out. It seems too easy. I pray that they would trust in Christ alone. I pray for all those here, even young people here, that are struggling with the assurance of their salvation, Help them to be assured, if they're trusting in Christ alone, that your grace is sufficient to save them, and you have given them a guarantee that they are your heir. And help them to rest in your character today, because you alone can raise the dead, and you alone can call things into existence that do not exist. And I pray that you would help us to point people to their creator and show them their need to be connected to him. Not only for life, but also for righteousness. And they can be forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.